We're, we're on this theme of the system of practice going through the year, and this is the end of the year, and we're on <coughs> to spiritual rebirth. So that's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> it's a bit of a challenge to say anything about. Um, and are, are we short? I was just on the tree with Sri Samavar and um, <coughs> she's got this phrase that uh, if there's not enough then the family family go without, you know. Mm. So it's like, you know, if there aren't enough handouts then the team does without. <laughs> so I was about to ask Claire to pull going. <laughs> um, so this will be up on the website in a bit. So I want to say a bit more about context, um, context of the system of practice as well as the context of the class. So, so a bit more about the context of class. We're, um, it, it's like if, to put on a post, you have to sort of just say something objective. So we said three years, but but to unpack a bit what what the idea is. It's like we're looking for people who have an established practice who are quite familiar with the forms of the um, metabolic and the microbes breathing that we introduce and are, are familiar with a range of ways of working in meditation. So the form is just a, a structure, um, hopefully a helpful structure. Meditation is actually about working on the mind with the mind and there are various tools for doing that. And we're kind of assuming that you're familiar not just with the form of the practice but with uh, you've got a bit of a tool set and you're familiar with it. Um, so that's the, that's the overall kind of uh, expectation of the class. I mean, within all that, I mean, Claire was just saying recently, you just kind of, you know, take in what you can. You might find something useful. You might find something that you can come back to later that's useful. Um, there is also the context this year of the whole system of practice, and we've been working through integration, positive emotion, spiritual death, and now we're on spiritual receptivity and um, we actually put spiritual sorry spiritual rebirth we actually put spiritual re receptivity in the middle and in a way that kind of goes between all of the practices but yeah spiritual rebirth it's generally associated with visualization meditations and so i wanted to do two things today one is to sort of position spiritual rebirth in the system of practice as a sort of reflex to spiritual death so there's a single movement death and rebirth so there's a very close parallel with with renunciation and going for refuge so in practicing the dharma we usually talk in terms of going for refuge to the buddha dharma and sangha and there's a movement towards involved in that but any movement involves a movement away and a movement towards it's part of the same movement so renunciation is a movement away, going for refuge is a movement towards, it's the same movement. Um, so similarly, in, in, in the system of practice, um, spiritual death is a movement away, it's a letting go or dropping. Spiritual rebirth is a movement towards, it's, a, it's an appreciation and unfolding. Um, it's the same movement. Um, so, so yeah, so I wanted to say a bit firstly about spiritual rebirth arising from spiritual death um, and then say a bit about visualization um, and then we're just going to have a go at that um, now you may or may not be aware that when when we join the order we take on a particular visualization called the sadhana practice so 
Um, so that's something we, we sort of associate with, with ordination. So I'm not, I'm not particularly going to say more about that beyond the fact that it's just, well, it is a visualization practice. And it's kind of visualizing uh, forms which kind of represent some aspects of enlightenment. You know, which these are five you're looking at just here. There's, there's lots of them around. Um, it's actually very very easy to, to find yourself a description of a visual form representing an aspect of enlightenment. It's like, in a way, that's what the Mahayana Sutras are. They're full of them. Um, so I've just taken a, a passage from one of the real classic Mahayana Sutras, which is the Flower Ornament Sutra. Um, I'll say a bit more about why I chose that passage in a bit. Um, okay, but first, spiritual death arising from... Sorry, spiritual rebirth arising from spiritual death. So get my notebook or something because I don't remember things very well. Okay. Um, yeah, let me look glass of water. Yeah, yeah there's um, okay. some over there. Do you want to buy the bowl? Oh, also, I can't actually read this. It's too spread. Is it? Oh, dear. Well, it'll be on the website so you could print out. Yeah. 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 Sorry to interrupt your flow. That's all right. It helps me learn, though, yeah. if I write it down. Good. Yeah. Are you the same? Absolutely the same. Yeah. Okay. So all the That's quotes, <laughs> I'm going to quote various bits of Dharma, they're all on the thumbnail, so don't feel you to, thank you, um, remember the quote. So, okay, spiritual rebirth arising for spiritual death. So spiritual death you can see in terms of seeing the absence of what's not there, what doesn't exist. You're realising that we're adding to our actual experience, we're fabricating something from our experience, which isn't actually there in our experience. So that's, that's the seeing, the absence, seeing through in spiritual death. So when that happens, you naturally move on to seeing the nature of what, it, what actually is there. What's there is experience. Yeah. What's there is conditioned, um, conditioned phenomena. It starts to get a bit philosophical when you use those sort of words, but what arises, you yeah. The sense experience, perception is arising. There it is. It's clear. It's manifest. It's apparent. It does exist. Um, yeah, so there's a sort of letting go of the belief in what, what isn't there and recognize, then moving into recognizing the actual experience, the nature of what is there. So I wanted to start with a classic sutta. This is a classic sort of Pali Canon sutta, so the word of the Buddha saying, the world, for the most part, holds to a belief in existence or to a belief in non-existence. But for those who see the cessation of things as it really is, a belief in existence falls away. And for those who see the arising of things as it really is, a belief in non-existence falls away. So the Buddha is teaching a middle way. And the middle way, classically, is the middle way between believing in existence and believing in non-existence. So this Kachana Sutta is the classic middle way teaching. Yeah. So to, to um, give examples of that, there's this falling away of the belief in the existence of anything permanent or substantial. Yeah. And that's spiritual death. So this is the Lakshanas. You, you may well have looked at the Lakshanas. We <coughs> did it as a theme last year. All things are all conditioned things are impermanent, all conditioned things are insubstantial. Okay, but there's also 
Um, this falling away of the belief in non-existence. Yeah. So there's the appreciation of the nature of what is actually there. You know, when you kind of, you can think of it in terms of like a veil kind of um, falling away. So another sutra that I think is really helpful from the gradual sayings: mind bhikkhus is luminous, but it is obscured by the obstructing defilements. And the obstructing defilements are the veil of views and the veil of poisonous emotions. So this veil of views is this view that there's something there that's not actually to be found. So that's just the veil. When the veil's kind of fallen away, you just see more clearly what actually is there. So appreciation of the nature of what does arise. So this is spiritual rebirth. And it's quite different from a sort of nihilistic belief in non-existence. So the Buddha's not teaching a belief in non-existence. Okay, so that's kind of middle way, and that's my first little quote to condition to position spiritual death and spiritual rebirth in relation to the, the Buddhist teaching in the middle way. So my next one is again it's a classic. It's uh, it's called the conditionality formula. It's a little verse which kind of describes conditionality, which you've probably heard before because it's 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 very uh, widespread. And it is this being that becomes. From the arising of this, that arises. This not being, that does not become. From cessation of this, that ceases. So you'll probably notice the parallels. So this time, spiritual death in the, in the, in the last two, two lines. This not being, that does not become. From the cessation of this, that ceases. Yeah. So there's a link there with, for those who see... The cessation of things that really is a belief in existence falls away. Yeah. And in this case, it's like um, we, we have these kind of limiting views. This is the main thing that falls away. The I'm like this view, you know. Two that came up last week in the intro course were, um, you know, I'm, I'm really special, I'm a member of the elite, is one self-view. I'm just Joe Average, I'm no different from anybody else. That's another self-view, yeah. Actually, they're both self-views. It's not that one's more real, closer to reality than the other. Um, so, conditionality, the Buddha's teaching, independence on conditions, something arises. So the self-view is not just random. It arises from self-delusion, from self-cherishing, from self-pride. This is a very traditional teaching. Um, <coughs> atma moha and self delusion, atma shneha, self cherishing, atma mano and self pride. From all of that arises this uh, some particular self view. I'm like this. This is who I am. Yeah. So when those conditions are not there, you know, when the delusions kind of seen through and the self cherishing is released and the pride is kind of dropped, then the self view doesn't arise. It's just hasn't is the conditions aren't there, it doesn't arise there. Yeah. Um so that's spiritual death. When self-view drops away, one sees the nature of what the actual experience that's there, that's present, that's manifest, that's before us, that's immediate. And next little quote is by Buddha Gosha, he's a really classic Theravada commentator. And um, and this quote sounds amazingly Mahayana for someone who is just so so um, central to the Theravada tradition. And he says, phenomena alone flow on, cause and components their condition. 
it goes on to say, uh, no other view than this is right, or something like that. Um, so phenomena, it's a bit of a philosophical word, but it just means kind of aspects of experience. Experience unfolds. It has its causes. It's made up of bits. That's, that's its conditionality. So that's what's there. Experience is there. Conditioned experience. So all of this conditioned experience is kind of hitting us. And the first thing we do is kind of divide it up into this bit's me, everything else is, is not me. It's, it's other people, it's the world. Yeah. So that's something that we're doing. That's the basic thing we're adding to experience. But when we look in the flow of conditioned experience, that division isn't something that we can actually find. Yeah. Um, so what we do find is, is experience arising. And experience arising is tangible, it's manifest, it's apparent, it's vividly present. There it is. And yet, it's ungraspable, it's insubstantial, it's ephemeral. So it's, that might seem like a contradiction, but actually, if you look at your experience, it's both. It's, it's really there, it's really apparent, it's really tangible. And you can't get hold of it. It just flows through your fingers. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so, this, uh, as I say, is the middle way, middle way, classic middle way teaching. Um, so my, my next little quote, so I've got quite a few quotes here, um, I'm aware I might be kind of hurrying through them. I'm hoping they're all kind of joining up because certainly in my mind they're all saying the same thing. <coughs> Um, basic thing, there is experience, it's not substantial. Yeah. So, middle way. Um, so this is a description of the middle way from Maitreya. Yes, that Maitreya. Maitreya the Bodhisattva. Maitreya the next Buddha to be. Who is the author of five books, traditionally. <laughs> One of these books, which are still in print, these is... I, I, I delight in the fact that it, 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 it um, that the academic Buddhists find this completely intolerable that this book <laughs> is attributed to Maitreya, the Bodhisattva, as the author. I think it's great. Um, and also, to me, I think this is the word of Maitreya in exactly the same way that the Mahayana Sutras are the word of the Buddha. Um, um, anyway, so this book's called Middle Beyond Extremes, and the opening verse is as follows, and I'll, I'll unpack this in a bit. It might not make a lot of sense immediately. There we go. The unreal imagination exists. Duality does not exist within it. Emptiness does exist within it, and it exists within emptiness. That's it. Um, so that probably needs a bit of unpacking. So the, the duality is this basic division of experience into this bit's me, that bit's not me. This bit's me, that bit's others, that bit's the world. That's the duality. When you look in your actual tangible sense experience, you can't divide it up into this bit's me, that bit's not me. It's all the same flavour. Um, so this belief in that duality um, is what falls away. 
And when, you, when that falls away, you just notice what's there, conditioned experience arising. There's this flow of conditioned existence. So what we imagine is there, but we can't find, that's unreal. Yeah? But the actual imagination, which is our capacity to perceive sense experience and our capacity to imagine a world and to imagine a self, that does exist. Yeah? So we can rely on our experience. That's basically the basic affirmation that the, the Mahayana is making. The actual experience that we are having is valid. It's a valid basis for practice. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what the unreal imagination exists is about. This imagination really does exist. What it imagines is unreal, but the imagination, the capacity to imagine, is real. Yeah. So we're seeing the emptiness in the sense of um, the absence. Yeah. So emptiness. It's a term that gets widely used and perhaps is less widely understood. And, and I, I think one thing that's, that's maybe not so apparent is that it does get used in somewhat different ways. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of going back here to emptiness the way the Buddha uses it in the sutta. So there's this lovely sutra called the um, Shorter Discourse on Emptiness. And the beginning, I, lo I love the bit, bit of the beginning of it. He's saying, um, when the palace hasn't got any elephants in it, then the palace is empty of elephants. <laughs> so it's like, it's a very straightforward take on emptiness. When there are no elephants in the palace, the palace is empty of elephants. And yet there is still this basis present, which is the palace. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, you know, and when a bhikkhu goes forth from the homeless life and lives in the forest, the forest is empty of palaces. <laughs> there are no palaces in the forest. But there is this basis of experience, which is the forest. <laughs> so he's continuing, and then he's sort of going forth more and more away, more and more, entering these kind of meditative states where there's a very subtle <coughs> basis for experience, and it's getting more and more subtle. But there's always a remaining basis for experience, yeah. Um, but this basic take on emptiness, that, you know, it's just that something is not there. Yeah. You think it's there, but when you look at the experience, you can't find it. You can't find it because it's not there. You know. I'm sure there's elephants in here somewhere. I'm looking at all the stables, but actually, I can't find it. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah. So this kind of division of experience that we make into this bit's me, that bit's world, we can't actually find it when we look. So that's the emptiness, the emptiness. Well, actually, isn't there? But there's something which is there, which is this flow of experience, yeah, which does exist within emptiness. So that's basically what we're saying. You know. The unreal imagination exists. You know, so our capacity to imagine, um, to actually experience, to perceive, to imagine what's there, that imagination exists. We imagine things into our experience. They're unreal. Yeah, so that duality does not exist within this imagination. The emptiness of that duality does exist. Shunyata does exist. And the imagination, it does exist within emptiness. That's, that's, this is kind of Maitreya's middle way. Yeah. Um, Maitreya is very much a Yogacara. Uh, but it's said that Mahayana has these two big main strands, the Yogacara and the uh, Majamaka. 
So Yogacara is kind of more kind of practice-based, yeah. so in a way it's more directly uh, connected with meditation. And I just wanted to finish with Yogacara's three self-natures. Um, largely because I wanted to bring in this quote of Bante's, the next quote. Um, so three self-natures, again, it's a bit obscure, but it's basically what Maitreya has been saying. Yeah. So the first one is the unreal imagination. Yeah. So the unreal imagination. There is an unreal imagination. There is an imagination. It imagines the unreal, but it exists. So there is the unreal imagination. The unreal imagination exists, but the duality of self and world which it imagines doesn't. Okay. So that's the first self-nature, the unreal imagination. The second is conditioned experience. Conditioned experience exists, but not in the way in which it appears. Yeah. So it's all happening, it all exists, it's all present, but it's not quite the way we assume it to be. We're assuming it to be all solid and substantial and you know, enduring. It's not actually like that. And then the third self-nature is, is the perfected nature, yeah. the nature of the enlightened one, the nature of enlightenment. And this is, is just the complete seeing of non-duality or the complete not seeing of duality in conditioned experience. Yeah. So to, I'm going to use a phrase which I've got a lot of... Um, reservation to that, which is seeing things as they really are. Okay, just sort of flag up, I've got a lot of reservations about that phrase, but um, things as they really aren't is, is fixed and separate and dual. Yeah. So if you're really seeing things as they really aren't, to use this phrase, um, it's a complete not seeing of that separate, fixed, independent self-nature in conditioned experience. <clears throat> so I wanted to drop that in largely because it kind of brings me on to this quote from Bante this is from the seminar <coughs> the seminar on the nature of existence see the nature of existence is the title of a chapter in the three jewels one of Bante's books from the early 70s <coughs> and uh, Bante did these seminars on all sorts of things over many years over decades he did one on this chapter of the three jewels on the nature of existence chapter and this is a quote from that. And he's sort of describing what sort of kind of how it is when you're seeing things as they are. To use that phrase again. And so this is how Banti puts it. Conditioned reality is still there. You're still eating and drinking and laughing and talking and seeing trees and houses. But you're seeing them in a completely different way. On the one hand, illusion is no longer present because self-centeredness is no longer present. So your perception is no longer distorted. You're no longer seeing the condition as permanent and pleasurable and so on. You know you see it as impermanent and painful and all the rest of it. But as it were, behind the relative reality, behind the condition, or as it were, shining through it, because your perceptions have been cleansed, as Blake would say, you see the unconditioned, which at the same time is not a separate reality standing behind. Again, language has its limitations. Um, so you, you might sort of get to the end of that passage and think, 
So what is he saying? You know, what 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 is his position? Where is he? Or, you know, trying to pin him down. And it's very difficult to do because well, Manti's um, yeah. Well, he's he's trying to kind of indicate the middle way, and it's not really something that we can really pin down. You know, that's not quite how it is. Um, but I do think for me, this this passage is kind of if you want to know in the end where Banti was at in relation to conditionality, I think this this, this is the one that um, really expresses it. Yeah. A lot of what he says elsewhere is kind of describing one side or the other. So like in the survey, he's talking about everything is conditioned. In the three jewels and what is the Dharma, he's saying there is an unconditioned, it's not conditioned. In the recent seven papers, he's saying everything is conditioned. Yeah, but so you think, well, no, works it one or the other. I think this this is the passage that kind of holds the contradiction. Yeah. So it's it's a bit of a mystery, really. But, um, but you can hold both at the same time, can't you? That's isn't that what we're meant to be trying to do? Is holding both? Yeah. In a way, kind in of. a way, yeah. You sort of I think that's a lot of the practice. You kind of hold both, and there's a tension, and in a certain strange way, that tension kind of takes you yes. into a middle way, and the middle way is always not just a compromise. It's it's a it's a different way of seeing things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was a load of that was a load of theory about the middle way and about spiritual rebirth emerging from spiritual death. And so I want to kind of um, move on to talking about visualization. <coughs> yeah. Okay. About the three natures. Yeah. And the spiritual seeing the nature of what does exist. Is that meant to be a Oh, it should be, it does exist, yeah. Thank you. Sorry about that. does exist, yeah. Yeah. I'll try and cro- com- correct that. Well spotted. Yeah. So that's all context for visualisation. Yeah, because visualisation is, is trying to... Um, engage with a um, depiction of the nature of experience. Um, so, in that context, the main basis for a visualization practice is seeing that the, the sort of nature, the quality of the visual image is the nature and the quality of our experience, of all of our experience. It's not different. Um, so visualis- the visualisation practice is an expression both of the seeing through what isn't there, of spiritual death, and of the seeing the nature of what is there, spiritual rebirth. And I think this is what's often missing. Um, and what, what happens when you don't see impermanence, when you don't see insubstantiality, is you kind of fall back on a near enemy, which is something more fixed and more solid. Yeah. So this happens across the board in Dharma practice. When we don't really understand Dharma, we fall back on something that's more fixed and more solid. Yeah. That's more black and white. If you don't really understand rebirth, you'll fall back on reincarnation. It looks similar, but it's more fixed and it's more solid. Um, 
So if you don't really understand visualization and you're visualizing a Buddha, you'll fall back on either believing that the Buddha doesn't exist or believing that the Buddha does exist. Yeah. <laughs> Something that's more straightforward, that's more substantial. You know. Why do we do that, do you think? Is that just fear? I think it's, it's familiarity. That actually the way things are is kind of subtle and kind of strange. Mm. And yet, when we look at our experience, we can just confirm it directly that actually that is the way it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. We think in terms of fixed things, but is we can't find them. Is it attachment to those? It might be, yeah. I mean, as I say, there's this veil of views and there's this veil of um, like emotional attachments. Um, and the two are kind of you know, wrapped up in each other. Um, probably condition each other, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But hopefully one of the skills we're developing in meditation is, is uh, recognising the difference between an actual felt experience, yeah. so this capacity of the mind to perceive sense experience and to experience it directly, to just feel it. And that includes feeling emotions. You can just recognise and feel an emotion as an experience. And then we have the capacity of the mind to think, to conceive, to rationalise, to follow through a chain of arguments, to have a clear conception of something, um, to have a view. And that, that's a different thing. That's the content of thinking. It's a different thing from an actual experience. So it may well be that this view is kind of, you know, arising from and driven by an emotional attachment. But emotional attachment is a different thing. It's something that you can experience directly. Um, yeah, and the, the, that, in a way, that is one of the principal underlying skills or arts in meditation, the capacity to centre one's attention on, the, on experience. You know, initially, it's just the experience of the body breathing. It's a simple, tangible, physical experience. And it's not like you're trying not to conceive, not to think, not to have a rational mind. It's just that you're trying to centre your attention on something else. Yeah. And hopefully as we do that, we're just clearer and clearer about the difference. Yeah. This is experience. That's an idea. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a good point to bring in, because visualisation, what's a visual image in a way it kind of sits somewhere between the two, you know, because we kind of, well, you might, you know, in mindfulness of breathing and in just sitting practice, we're just kind of sitting with our experience. Yeah. In the visualisation practice, we're then going on to introduce something, you know, a particular image. You know. So that wasn't there, you know, we've introduced it. Isn't that the content of thinking? Isn't that an idea? Sort of yes and no. Okay. So I'll, I'll say a bit about that. Um, So we're introducing an image, whatever it is. Let's just pick an image, if you happen to be facing a, a lovely set of five images. There's an image, introduce an image. Introducing a form, and we're introducing it as lucid, luminous, clear, apparent, manifest. There it is, here's this image. And yet, at the same time, we're encouraged to introduce it as diaphanous, intangible, ungraspable, made of light. Yeah. That's the basic quality of the images that we would introduce. So that's kind of bringing in both of these forms. Yeah. It's 
it's free of what's not there. It's not solid. Yeah? It's not substantial. And it's, it's, it's full of what is there. It's manifest, it's apparent, it's clear. And one real, uh, really helpful basis of that visualisation is the recognition that that is the nature of all of the experience you are having at the moment. Whatever experience you're having at the moment, however solid it might seem. So I'm going to take an example of what might initially seem like a very solid experience. So I'm getting hold of this table. Here we are. Holding onto this table tight. You might think, well, it can't get more substantial than that. <laughs> So what's actually going on when I'm doing that? Well, here I am. I've got this experience. Is there anything grasped? Yeah. Tight grip here. Is there anything which I'm actually grasping? What is there in my actual tangible experience when that's, when that's happening, when I'm doing this? Yeah. So there's a tactile physical sensation. That's clear, manifest, apparent, tactile physical experience. But I'm not experiencing directly anything beyond that sense perception. Yeah. So that manifest actual tactile, you might want to grab hold of something to, to try to practice in there. There it is. It's really there. The experience is really there. Yeah. But I'm not perceiving directly anything beyond the sense experience. Yeah. There isn't a thing perceived in experience. There's just experience. Yeah. In perception, there's just perception. There isn't a thing perceived in perception. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so in a way, we only perceive surfaces. Yeah. I'm just perceiving the surface of this table. Yeah. The outline of it. I'm not perceiving an interior. Do you mind if I ask a question? Sure. I, I, I felt the thing of the chair when you were doing that, and I get what you're saying. Do you say, when you said there isn't a thing perceived, there's just perception? Yeah. Could you say, and again, language has its limitations, could you say there's perception because of the thing perceived? Well, you could say that. I'm sure you can say that, that. Does that change what you're saying? Or not? It well, it's, it's bringing your view. It's bringing your view in. Yeah, and just kind of recognising that that's a view. Yeah. So I've got this view that there's a thing, and because there's a thing, I'm perceiving it. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason, yeah, okay. So that's that's a reason, yeah? Because there's a thing, therefore I'm perceiving yeah, it. Yeah, by using the word because, it makes the thing sound a bit more real. Well, is that just me being... When you use the word because, you're bringing in reason. It's a bit like you bringing in the word therefore. You know? yeah. There is a thing, I'm gripping it, therefore I perceived it. Yeah. yeah. So so that I'm not saying that that's wrong, I'm just saying that that's a reason, yeah? Yeah. So what reason is, it's kind of bringing in this rational side of the mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm not saying that the rational side of the mind is wrong. It, it's lining up ideas into reasons and arguments. Yeah. Mm. Um, and whether or not those are valid arguments, they are arguments. You know, they're ideas. They're the yeah. content of thinking. Yeah, okay. <coughs> but what's actually there in perception isn't the thing, it's the perception. Can I use an analogy, if I may? Yeah. Um, the way, you know, to try and get me to understand Say, for example, um, you go to an art gallery and you look at a painting, right? and you would say that, especially a more abstract painting, that when you initially see it, you don't understand it. You just see the colour, the form, 
the, the light coming off the painting. You know, you take it for, could be just a mass of colour. But when somebody explains to you what the painting's about, then the way you see that painting changes. Yeah, yeah. And, and you put sort of ideas on it, so you might know the history behind it, a little bit about the artist, a little bit about what he was trying to convey through the painting. And in a way, that gets in the way of your initial experience mm. of just seeing it. Yeah, yeah, it, it colours and conditions and affects it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when, when you first see it, that, that, that yeah. in a way, that's a real experience, and you're just taking it for what it is, and it may be a massive colour, and you get affected by that, but the more you learn about the painting, your perception of it changes. Yeah. Great. And rather than thinking, oh, this perception was right and that one's wrong. I think what's really helpful is to kind of notice the way that independence upon having all of this knowledge and ideas, my kind of relationship to so, my perception so of it. awareness to that yeah. process. That there's a conditioned yeah. relationship there. Yeah. 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 And in a way what we're doing is with meditation is we're kind of, in a way we're unpicking that, at least recognising that mm. these are different things, you know. This, these are ideas, this is experience. Yeah. Okay. So table's an idea, yeah. And it's an idea of a thing on the other side of experience, a thing that I'm experiencing, yeah. Um and as an idea, it's just that. It's just an I it's it's an idea, it's a concept, yeah. And it's referring to something beyond beyond experience. Yeah. So here's here's the sense experience, it's like and then there's beyond that there's a thing that I'm perceiving. Yeah. If there really is a thing beyond sense experience, the beyond perception, then it would be imperceivable. Just because everything I'm perceiving is a perception. I think that's a quote of Bante's, but I couldn't find it. Everything we perceive is a perception. Everything we experience is an experience. Everything we sense is a sensation. Um, and for me, it's quite sufficient to, to just recognise that whether or not there is a thing that I'm perceiving. It's clearly the case that what I'm perceiving is a perception. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's perhaps most challenging to do that visually, yeah, because we have so many words for visual images, much more than we have for tactile sensations, much more than we have for smells or tastes. Um, so it's kind of more of a kind of shift to kind of recognise with visual sense experience that that's what it is. It's visual sense perception. It's visual impressions. Yeah. Is what you're trying to say is when it's stripped down <laughs> to the very, very bare sensation, it still is a perception? Because that's all you can have. Because without, yeah. without perception, without perception, like human perception, there would be nothing anyway. So it's well, in a way, that's still speculation again. The point is that here it is. It isn't is nothing. Perception. It's all here. And mm -hmm. um, the perception, yeah, there's like there's this whole kind of rich, manifest world of appearances. Using the world, word world, lightly. Um, here it is. <laughs> and then, along with that, we've got all sorts of ideas, and it's just kind of recognizing that all of our ideas are just that—they're ideas. Yeah. Ideas. 